it's not the maintenance saying, thing again. She's saying, it? stop, mm. stop enjoying yourself. Get back here. Get back here. No, she wants to know on Ed, Ed Wade. Um, so she just needs to work out whether Do she needs to now. Hang oh, right. him, hang him in a on a hook. No, they or can he just put him on the scale? They strip him entirely naked. And that you can't do that. Put butter him on a, him. On a scale. Yeah. And put him on a scale. <laughs> butter him. Put him, with the put him under a grill. Which Lather him in butter. <laughs> the, the, the minute they put them in the scales, they soil themselves. <laughs> so that's an extra. 10 Speaking from experience, there, Stephen. <laughs> they do. They, they, they love that. The, the, from the last time I was weighed. <laughs> Which was yesterday. <laughs> they, they, they love an open air weeder, baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly boys, boys where they can... It's the cold Fountain. air wafting around the... Um, the nether regions. The nether regions. Yeah. Is that right? Is that what yes. prompts Yes. Yes. Well, you think you're a nappy, you're nice and warm, everything's hunky-dory, and suddenly, bam! It's <laughs> the Arctic. Willie goes off like a sprinkler. <laughs> I'm delirious. This what? Is, it's I don't know what I'm saying. Chinch has this theory different yeah. that he does not wear underpants. <laughs> oh, goodness me. You must be a real threat, a real risk. To my own trousers, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Never wear light grey. Never wear light grey. <laughs> this is Set Piece Menu. Oh, God. A podcast where four friends talk football over food. We have been treated, extraordinarily so, to um, a New York City-style uh, brunch. Steve has been back from New York for, what, two and a half weeks now? Still banging on about Still it. Still banging on about it. Like, subtle, not so subtle. Hey, let's eat like they did in New York. If you don't want to benefit... From these off the beaten track places that I visit, <laughs> these new world cuisines that you may not have previously been exposed to, then fine, fine. How many places in uh, New York City do their lovely bacon on a George Foreman grill? Well, I, I, I wasn't privy to what goes on in the kitchen. I prefer <gasps> the, the mystery secrets. of remaining in the in the dining area and allowing them to bring me the food. I was paying for it. I've seen Man versus Food. I believe they tend to use one of those giant skillets. Which is essentially a George Foreman grill without the top part. Exactly. So you did the right thing. And I thought, because, we, because we've got an athlete around the table, mm. that You're right he, wouldn't have wanted, he wouldn't have wanted his bacon fried. No, That's God, true, no. I didn't. I didn't. So, <laughs> Especially when you're going to go and beast your guns. You don't want to be too heavy in the... Is that what you're doing? Tommy Tommy it's arms today. The coolest thing when I went out for brunch in New York... Is that oh my God. from the wire? Take off that Empire no, no, State no, no, Building no. T-shirt. We're sick of it. <laughs> At least why, wash it. Why are Omar? you wearing a medallion with the Statue of Liberty on it? <laughs> Omar from the wire Ooh. was having brunch in the same restaurant. Michael B. Williams. Yep. Is that Michael B. Williams? I've I think no it's idea. I've never seen the wire. Yeah, You've never seen the wire. No. no. Okay. So how quick are you to completely? I'm going to say a rude word. I'm not going to say a word. Um, lay upon us some disgruntled incredulity about parts of our life that you feel are wrong and very missing. quick. So you've never seen the wire. I've no. never seen it. No, there's, yeah, I, so you don't have culture, Chinch. I have a terrible habit of missing out on. I watch Sex in the City. <laughs> exactly. You I also watch Sex in the City. I prefer that to the wire. <laughs> well, we don't, we've not seen it, so we don't. I actually saw one episode. It's too gritty for me. Got stuck in your teeth. The um, the I tend. I, I have a. Sit there. The, I tend. The list as long as my arm. There is a list as long as my arm of, of sort of iconic TV shows I've never seen. Would you like to hear it? Look, look. No, not particularly. Bread. <laughs> Bread. In Rory's defence, you cannot quote Brush Alan Partridge ad finitum as he is capable of doing if you also watch expose yourself to other TV. No. I just watch Partridge. <laughs> over and over again. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are a writer, a commentator and a pundit. If you don't know which is which, you can spend the next little while guessing. But Steve Wyeth, Rory. 
Corey Smith and Andy Hinchcliffe all use words on various media. It's just some of them write those words down and some of them just make it up. Uh, do get in touch. At Set Piece Menu is where we are on Twitter. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address. Fraser Pitt has done exactly that in response to our episode on player nerves, which was, I think... One of our favourite ones, mm. mainly because Steve apparently yeah. in New York. Mm. Uh, number 69, if you're new and you'd like to go back. Fraser asks, did the fact that Andy played in defence play a factor in his nerves pre-match? A defender can have a perfect game without anyone even noticing and one stray back pass that puts the opposition striker through on goal or one slightly mistimed tackle leading to an opposition penalty can cost your side a win. You are then to blame for the whole game. I think he's really piling it on, isn't it? And then it it's can get... nervous now and I've retired. <laughs> a lot of stick from your team, manager and supporters and get labelled an idiot and then he says in brackets or worse whereas a striker mm. can do nothing for 89 minutes then tap in a winner in the last minute and get labelled a hero very true yes again I hadn't really thought about that I was just nervous enough as it was if I'd have known that <laughs> I'd have never set foot on the pitch although to be fair I think I can remember a lot of games where you didn't really notice Andy Hinchcliffe on the pitch and that can only be a good thing because I was so quietly effective fine yeah, <laughs> fine. Okay. That's what you need, even at this stage. Also, there's from Tim Everton, who's got in touch about episode 70. Tim Everton. Emerton. Okay. Uh, so that's a couple of weeks ago. Firstly, he says the podcast is brilliant. I could have left that out, but no, I didn't. But no. Don't I, ever leave that. I found the points made on individual players, mainly Neymar at PSG, being indulged particularly interesting. Uh, this was part of a conversation you may remember uh, about the individual versus the team and how much you allow certain stellar players a little leeway in an attempt to encourage them to perform at their match-winning best each and every week. It occurs to me, says Tim, that this isn't a new thing and that bespoke treatment for individuals has been going on for years. Spurs securing Gaza's signing by buying his parents a house springs to mind. Any more recent times, Liverpool hiring Sadio Mane, a personal chef as well. I also like the idea of Everton allowing Tony Hibbert to go fishing on Fridays, but I unfortunately don't think they do. Bad jokes aside, he says, that's his words, not mine. Could this second example, particularly, um, not of Hibbert, of Mane, uh, be evidence the direction that we are heading in terms of teams versus collections of individuals? Mane is widely regarded as a team player, someone who works hard and isn't overly flashy or as concerned about his image as more individual contemporaries such as Pogba or Neymar. Let, yet Liverpool still tailored their approach to him and were willing to do what was needed to secure his services. I think that's a bit different. I think uh, It's more scouting than indulgence. No, but if, if a player says, I need a personal chef because, you know, I, I, I feel as though I, I, want to, I want to improve my nutrition or whatever. I mean, Liverpool, he's, he's also a Muslim, I think, isn't he? He's Muslim, so, yeah. Yeah, that's there, whether he's having difficulty sourcing halal food or, or I don't know. But if a player comes to you and says, I need this provision to help with my career, then that's that's fine. And yeah, he's right. He's completely right. That has always happened and, and there's nothing wrong but with then it. then again, if we pay you £200,000 a week, could you not find your own chef? Yeah, but he doesn't know how to use drum tree. It's hard. Yeah, it's a minefield. The, but the, the thing with Neymar is more that he's kind of pitching and choosing when he trains, which is, which is I don't think so. It probably has happened in the past, to be fair. Possibly with Jazz and maybe someone like Bestie. But, but giving him a bit of leeway or giving him and his entourage the top floor of a five-star hotel, that's not giving him a bit of leeway. Yeah. That's treating him completely differently. To everybody else. To yeah. everybody else, and that cannot be right. Sidebar from Neil Langley at Spangley1812. Can you ask Chinch what was in the silver takeaway container? I saw him with at Villa Park, please. The silver... <laughs> ah, I know it was in that. That was cherry almond tart with custard for Daniel Mann, the commentator. <laughs> I, told, he, I told Neil on Twitter that Chinch's answer would be a lie, and I'm correct. It's not a lie. It's, I swear down, it, that is absolutely true, because Danny Mann had to go across and meet someone that we know, Leon Clark. Not Leon Clark, he plays for Sheffield United. <laughs> Leon Collins. 
who used to work at Man City. Yes, he's who now works at Villa, Aston, Aston Villa. Villa. So Danny Man said, I'm off to meet him to have a chat. You don't come along. You stay here. Great. Thanks for that. Can you bring me a pudding? And I, that was the pudding that I was taking across, so it was not mine. So he gave you an instruction like a dog? <laughs> Basically, yes. Yeah. Or a, a mongrel servant. A mongrel dog as well, yeah. Daniel Mantic's another huge stride forward in our <laughs> reservation. <laughs> uh, Joseph emailed about episode 71, which was last week, and he says he couldn't believe that we talked about managers' success being measured by their ability to outperform their means without talking about Claudio Ranieri, the current Nantes manager, of mm. course. Yeah, he, he did quite a good job at Leicester. He won the league. <laughs> Yeah, but the, the, is that the a good example of what we're talking well, about? Well, the stories you hear, a lot of the Leicester players were unhappy that he took a lot of the credit for their success. They feel they were the successful ones despite Ranieri. I think that says rather a lot about the Leicester player. Doesn't mean it isn't true. True, true. Uh, yes, we spoke about that uh, situation way back when in Player Power, which I think was a, one of the earliest episodes that we did. So, um, mm. you know, 69, 70, 71, then back to six or whatever it was. Vintage set-piece menu, that's yes, what you mean. Yes, quite there, right. Yeah. It was almost in sepia. Uh, quite a few also mentioned Slavisa Yakanovic uh, as a good example of a manager who consistently does well in lots of different circumstances, mm-hmm. which, of course, was one of the other points yep. that we were making. Uh, so thank you to everybody for getting in touch on that. And finally, Christopher Shoup Worrell got in touch to uh, launch himself as the new favourite in the best name to get in touch with a pod competition. And apart from an excellent topic suggestion, Christopher, um, thank you for that. We'll attempt to do that at some point in the future. He invited us to do a live show at the UCFB, which is the University Campus of Football Business, uh, when he starts working there as a lecturer. I'm announcing that just in case there is someone listening who already works at the UCFB at the Etihad Stadium. Like, for example, his soon-to-be boss, who might think inviting four people who like a lot of food and attention is actually a step too far for his first week in the job. So can we take this on the road? Are we so, allowed to? Th- thanks, Christopher. Our riders are Chinch. Uh, blueberries. Rory. Uh, a five-pack of drifters. <laughs> Steve? No avocado, crushed or otherwise. And and from me, Hang just on. all the technical expertise and hardware that costs hundreds of pounds that you're prepared to do, and also sell all the tickets. Your rider can't be the absence of something. <laughs> yes, that's, that's yeah. silly. Oh, that's I'm, how he I'm lives. a man of simple means. He's a man of negativity. Anything to do with New York, he'll have. At Set Piece Menu is the Twitter address, setpiecemenu at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch via email, as Ollie Friston did to suggest our topic this week. Uh, Ollie wrote an email about joy a while back, which we featured on the pod, but at the end he added a little coda with this question. Oh, that's a great word, coda. What's it, uh, oh, so I'm allowed to talk musical things now, am I? Just like any other Coda's time, not, every... a, not a musical thing. Yes, it's it a Latin a, word, it, which is obviously in most people's parlance as a result of the fact that it is a musical. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Ding, ding! Let's stop this <laughs> right ding, here. Ding, ding, ding! Music against Latin. Let's not go there. Most also, pe- a Latin term. I think most people know it from from their basic grasp of Latin, <laughs> which of course uh, c- counts for about eighty percent right. of um, our lads. I think you need to have a basic lads. grasp of Latin to work at Curry's. Lads, 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 lads! You're both wrong. Most people don't have a basic grasp of Latin, and just because fifty percent of the people around this table. Hugh have a degree in music does not mean that 50% of people full stop have a degree in music. Mm. That's true, although I have a basic grasp of Latin and a degree in music. <laughs> that so. says more oh about my, your education. My Ma- massively marginalising me and the general public. Uh, this is what Ollie said in his coda. Uh, what is the point in supporting a club that never has a realistic chance of winning anything? And why do people still do it? As an Ipswich Town fan, I ask myself this question on a regular basis and still haven't found a good answer. Well, Ollie, we'll use your East Anglia-based frustrations to ask this nihilistic question. 
What is the point? Your club may be like Ollie feels his is, one that never has a realistic chance of winning anything. Your club may be a yo-yo club destined to never have a good season followed by a better one, instead offering only struggles to follow success. Your club may perennially be in the Premier League but never feature in the top six or stake a claim to any trophies. So outside of the biggest and the best, what is the point. Now, this conversation comes at a time for many of great enthusiasm, uh, particularly in the championship. And it just so happens that Chinch mm. has been following things very closely at the hot end of the season in the championship. Throughout the season, I'd say, not just at the hot end. Are you telling me that the, the whole season is lukewarm hot. and cold end? But and surely supporting a team transcends winning. Doesn't it? Yeah, yes, it's not, it does. You know, well, maybe a lot of that, youngsters these days support a team because they win things. Well, that's something we should probably come on to later in the discussion. I'm sure we will. But yes, supporting a team does transcend winning. But you know when sometimes when you, hit, when you hear a word, or you say a word over and over again, it starts to lose meaning in your own head. I have this a lot with the word had. Someone just ch started a chainsaw. We're not that bad. Number nine is having some work done in their garden. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, oh mm. the sights and sounds of Stidsbury. Uh, well, with uh, ten. When <laughs> <laughs> Stuck the bodies under the patio again. That, that, that means a lot to about eight people. Yeah, it means a lot to the local estate agents, you. <laughs> I'll do it all again anyway. So it's all right. Okay. Uh, Partly because... Just Chinch made quite an off-colour joke <laughs> about bodies under the patio. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sometimes you, you say a word so often that it loses all meaning. I have it with the word had for some reason. If I hear the word had or say the word had... In what context? Yeah. In any context. I just had had and you start to think that's a really weird sound to make and it starts to make you question the very, the very nature of language. Uh, it's the same with supporting a team. Yeah, you support a team for reasons other than winning. But when you actually stop to think about it, why on earth do you support a team if they're rubbish? Like, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not condoning changing teams or kind of becoming a fan who sort of drifts with, with whoever's most successful. Done that on a previous pod as well. But it is, but it is a, it's a weird thing that you can be locked... If you're a Rochdale fan who've been in... I know a lot of Rochdale fans. Lee, that is Lee, where my dear wife comes from. In the third the tier... The Rochdale of, Oldham area. Exactly. The third tier of English football, basically for their entire existence, doing nothing. Then at some point, surely you do ask... Like, what, what am I getting from this relationship? That's exactly a conversation that I had a few weeks back with a Rochdale fan. Okay. Would you believe? What did they say? It's almost like you have segued beautifully into something that you didn't know actually like existed. Eavesdropping on you and your wife. <laughs> uh, it was not with my wife. Okay. It was with a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. And uh, yes, the, the point was made is that often you find joy in different ways, but also you kind of take a slightly pragmatic approach where the club thrives for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So Rochdale has an excellent scouting recruitment system that allows them to buy players for not very much money who they either then improve or people, other people realise that they are of good quality and they sell them on for profit. That is the, the kind of the merry-go-round for Rochdale. And that sometimes will affect them in that they have the players to go up, mm -hmm. they have to sell them because that's the business model and they are left bereft and then they go down. So there's a kind of a wider reason for all that happening. And I think a lot of Rochdale fans are very understanding of that. And they buy into that. And they understand that there will be two out of every three years will be difficult. But what the one year that sits in between will be of great value to them. And so, they, yeah, they, they kind of have a sense of uh, distancing from it. And, and they don't get too disappointed that it, it doesn't really go anywhere. But the other reason for supporting football, a football team, has nothing to do with football at all. Mm -hmm. Which is... It's a way to connect yourself with your with your family, community, with your, yeah. your, your father, your mother, mm -hmm. your brothers and sisters, with your friends, with your community, with the, with mm -hmm. the place that you're from. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a badge of identity, effectively. Um, 
I always think of football clubs as this is this sounds really poncy, but the way it's passed on, it's like a collective myth. So it's a collection of memories. It's a it's a you you pass on to these. You, know, you get kids who support teams who can't have seen these great names of the past play, but they still have this reverence for them. Brian Robson is is quite a good example. There's a whole generation of people who never saw Brian Robson play, but you you criticise Brian Robson to a 20 year old United fan, and you'll be told, "No, he was greatest greatest midfielder we ever had." Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. And you sort of well, you don't know. You've no idea what he played like. You might have seen a bit a bit on YouTube, but you, you have no memory of him. But it, these things, these stories, the, this myth gets passed down through generations, and that's what you're buying into. Mm. And so, by supporting a club, I guess you're 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 perpetuating and continuing that that collective myth, and that's a really powerful thing. And it's something that we do in in all kind of spheres. I think, like hum, yeah, human beings function on stories. That's how we. Explain things yeah, rationalize well, things yeah, ourselves. That's exactly how stories are passed down. Of yeah. every, any kind of story, but stories that are based on religion, stories yeah. that are based on legend, and you know Arthurian legend is is, is surely word of mouth. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't quite Ponzi point, but you made it very effectively. Thanks, Tim. Mm. So that's why you support a team. I think is that it. We're finished. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, well, you were going to you were going to we we're going to try and. Oh, the championship! You mentioned the championship in, in, in mentioning the championship, and yes. there are a lot of teams at the top of the championship who were previously strugglers in the Premier League. Have got relegated, yeah, but yeah. then they've either reinvigorated themselves mm-hmm. using the same group of players and same manager, or they've completely changed and they're having another go under different circumstances. Yeah. So, what is it like for those teams at this moment when they're incredibly excited about going up the potential of going up to the Premier League, but there's no great sense? that they will succeed and prosper in the Premier League. Yeah. So how do they come to terms with that, that it might be a little bit more depressing a little further down well, the road? that's what I always find strange. It's kind of, our fans always craving, let's get to the Premier League, whoever you are, let's get to the Premier League. Then when they get there, it's like Huddersfield. It, they could still go down this season. How, how, have Huddersfield fans really enjoyed this season, seeing their team? It might be a one-off and it might never happen again, so that yes, they might well enjoy they, it. But teams like Aston Villa, who have been in the Premier League for a long time, go down, they desperately want to get back, but they have a very hard time in the Premier League, struggle, go into the Championship, and actually the season is, you see a lot more winning football. Mm. But fans, would they would they still rather be a Premier League team? Is that what they crave? Is that where they want to be because they want to see their club in the best league in this country probably the question regarding Huddersfield would be more relevant this time next year if yeah. they have survived mm. because they will have enjoyed the first Premier League experience they'll have enjoyed having those big illustrious names yeah. come to Huddersfield There's, mm-hmm. I assume pretty much all of their home games have been sold out yeah. they'll have enjoyed their away trips considerably more than the, the slog of the 23 away games in the championship by contrast but yeah, as as that as the struggles go on, one season after another, then one would assume it does become the, quite tight. Yeah, but if, if you support that club, t- that's what that's 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 what's happening to them. It might meander the, the the kind of how the club's history pans out, but you're there at that time. So isn't that you just support your club, whatever happens? The the, the Premier League era and the the more recent years of the Premier League era, because it's become so huge, so global, and because coverage of football in this country, as in most countries, I assume, where the the coverage is so heavily dominated by the top flight, that being part of that sort of 20-team cartel gives you a sense of belonging in itself, doesn't it? So as a fan, as as well as as the, the status of the club, you want to be there, even if you are the 16th or 17th best team in that competition being part of that gives you status doesn't it we've mm. we've seen you know the team that finishes bottom of the of the premier league makes what 100 million quid a season 
which is considerably more than the the champions of most other top flight competitions. So, it, the, 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 with the, the Premier League become, comes that status, that cachet with, with which most people associated with football crave. But you do hear increasingly, and I wonder whether you can offer some insight to Chinch. Mm. Uh, probably, fans, very probably. Fans of those sort of yo-yo clubs who mm. talk about enjoying life in the championship more. Yeah. Why? Because surely the overall quality is, isn't as high. But they win more games. It's, mm. but oh, it's, it's attritional, isn't it? Mm. It's attritional. And, mm. and you don't get a sense necessarily that the best footballing team wins the championship. It's, but do they care? It's, it's, your team's winning. it's actually starting to change a little bit where very good sides, we've seen it this season with Wolves and Fulham could well go up. Very good footballing that I feel would comfortably survive in the Premier League, in the current Premier League. They are very good football teams. So yes, it is a very tough league. And if you're fans of Wolves and Fulham and they're in the top two, of course you're going to say this. If they're playing wonderful football, we're going to get promoted as well. All well and good. But are they going to enjoy being mid-table or bottom six playing they might not be able to play the same way the enjoyment will change yes you're a Premier League club but are you enjoying these 90 minutes as you were you can't do if you're going to finish top of the championship it's a brilliant season where every game's a joy to behold let's uh, take a case study and it refers back to what Steve said about the kind of football that that you see in the championship sometimes with uh, an understanding that there are upset exceptions that, that Chinch just mentioned um, and that case study is Derby um, regular contributor Paul Reeve emailed this into response to an earlier uh, pod that uh, we asked during it um, as an aside whether it's better to be top of the championship or bottom of the Premier League mm. in perpetuity and uh, Paul says this as a Derby fan tainted by the Billy Davis Paul Jewell debacle of 2007-2008 are you pleased that we're mentioning Paul Jewell because last week you started crying I didn't cry. You well, whelped. Is that a thing? I was whelp. <laughs> whelp? No, I've seen whelping is... Is that where the dog gives birth? Yes. Oh, I didn't do that, did that's I? Well, it's quite similar sounding. You made similar sounds. Yeah. No, I did not. Um, Paul, uh, Paul says... How many dogs giving birth have you witnessed? Don't say many, because you no, haven't. None. No, so you don't know what no. the sound is. So let's move on. The Carry on, of, The amount of time you're on YouTube, Chinch, you could probably search for it <laughs> before we get to the end of this very sentence. Uh, Paul says, I'd say top of the championship is more fun. Despite our total ineptitude in 07-08, several teams still came to Pride Park not to lose. Wigan, Bolton, uh, Manchester City, Blackburn, Everton. None lost, but the football was insipid. Any team that came to win generally won and won well, which spawned the let's pretend we scored a goal chant. And... Uh, they had at Pride Park that season. Since relegation, we've seen Nigel Clough build the team steadily from relegation fodder to upper mid-table. Champagne football with Steve McLaren as he got the extra 10% from Clough's team. Clement and Rowett, well, Rowlett, he puts the extra L in there for <laughs> have played functional football. Not great to watch, but generally effective. It's better to watch winning football or at least football where there's a reasonable chance of winning each week. Whichever yeah. league we're in, the most important thing is that every player gives 100% every game, however limited they may be. And he has Jake Buxton in bracket it's there which for Derby fans might be slightly <laughs> yeah. cruel sadly that's something that can no longer be taken for granted yeah, so I, I have a lot of friends who a lot I don't have a lot of friends at all but I have <laughs> several friends so I have several friends who support championship teams or teams who have recently been in the championship and have since uh, been promoted to the Premier League mm. and they have all said to me at one point or another that they, they basically preferred it in the championship mm. in fact a Bournemouth supporting friend of mine told me that his ideal situation would be that Bournemouth were top of the championship all season, every year, until April, when they lost three games and slipped to seventh, thereby just missing out on the playoffs. Ah, what and a title then, race that season know, yeah. is. And then did it again the next year, because you, you see 
you win more games than you lose. You have fun. The stakes don't seem quite so high. It's not quite as tense. You're not turning up to get battered quite a lot of the time. Which I mean, for Huddersfield this yeah, year, yeah, yeah. they you know there's been there must have been several games that their fans cannot have enjoyed. Spurs at home. Huddersfield fans cannot have enjoyed seeing Spurs spank them at home. Four. It was four nil that one, wasn't it? I think it was four nil. Mm. And it's. I think there is a, a part of the Premier League experience for teams like that where after a while the fans start to think actually I'm not sure I enjoy this you you take huge pride I guess in the status you're excited by the players that you can sign yeah. you know it's good for the club but the club financially the, yeah, the club yeah. would want to be in the Premier League oh, because of course, what it yeah. can do in the future that, yeah. but for the fans it's, I think it's different I think it's a slightly double-edged sword do we mm. not need to then tap into that as the media as the football watching public and accept that there is life outside of the Premier League and say, do you know what? This deserves more coverage. It deserves more exposure. I think the, the championship is the sixth most yes, watched division true, in, yeah. in Europe outside of the big five. Mm-hmm. So there clearly is a quality, uh, good good crowds, mm-hmm. very well attended. But it barely registers a blip on the radar in terms of its coverage compared mm-hmm. to what the Premier League gets. Mm-hmm. So if, if supporters with first-hand experience uh, are giving us that sort of account mm-hmm. of life outside the top flight, mm-hmm. should we not embrace that? Because therefore, it's, it's that sort of, they might be enjoying themselves, but how relevant is it mm-hmm. if nobody outside of their echo chamber is paying any attention? What, what's interesting with the Championship, it is like a mini Premier League because of the size of the clubs that are now mm-hmm. ending up in the Championship. So Wolves it's a wonderfully set up club Aston Villa the same so actually their games the majority of their games against are against other pretty big clubs as well in the championship so that has really helped so no disrespect but they're not playing Scunthorpe or because people might have an idea of what the championship who is in the championship but if you look at the list of teams that are in that league there's some huge clubs in there which makes the games I think for the fans more enjoyable because they're actually big clubs against big clubs it's not kind of Burton you're playing every every other week. Do you know what I mean? So there's some huge teams in that championship, which I think helps fans enjoy their team being in the championship a bit more. This concludes the party political broadcast on behalf of the EFL. <laughs> How fodder die you? Well, the like an advert. The counter the counterpoint to it is that if we could get an account from a Sunderland fan, and Hugh and I work with some Sunderland fans. And I'm guessing from their general demeanour over the last few months is that they've not enjoyed life outside of the Premier League in the Championship because they've been just as bad in that. Yeah, but they didn't enjoy life in the, even though in the, the Premier League. Yeah, they were dreadful there as well. But they, they, they're not going to be reflecting on. Oh, wasn't it? You know, they might have been thinking. We'll, at least we'll on the brink games. of relegation yeah. oh at least we'll win in the championship next season we'll probably win half our games mm. might have a push for promotion that'll be entertaining so our, our quality players but that's because of the quality the that's like what I'm saying the quality in the championship has, has put the sword to, um, their to account, Sunderland their so that's account, why they're struggling their account would not be oh yeah do you know what there is life uh, it, there is life in English football outside of the Premier League because mm. as far as they're concerned it's just as dismal whichever division everything is a bleak wilderness yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the word Steve used just then entertainment I think is really important when we revert to the original question which is why you support a team uh, and that's that you do it partly t- to be entertained like it's not you're not really meant to admit it but it is, it is partly to be entertained and I think that th- the issue is for a lot of people that it's not that entertaining watching your team play really defensive football against teams much better than them for 30, 30 weeks a season and only having sort of eight games where they can really cut loose and go for it, which is why I suspect there are quite a few people, Sunderland apart, who maybe see the benefit in some way to, to being relegated because at least you, you get a little bit of fun out of it. But the, the other thing that's really important is hope and Huddersfield kind of prove that because 
three, four, five years ago, Huddersfield were not hoping to be in the Premier League. There was no sense that Huddersfield might soon be in the Premier League. And yet, here they are. Leicester won, Leicester won the lead. Burnley are in the top. Burnley are seventh. Burnley have been seventh since the end of the Boer War. <laughs> and the, <laughs> we actually, we didn't mention Sean Dyche in oh, our managerial discussion last week. Mm. Yeah. The, um, you know, Burnley are seventh. Swansea, I mean, Southampton to an extent are a great story. And it, th- there's enough, I think that's the other thing, that there's enough volatility and enough mobility through the leads that fans of every club pretty much there, there can be a part of them that thinks that could be us you know if Swansea can go up four divisions then why can't Luton there's there's a story to be told about everybody and it's 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 up to those people to, to to kind of enjoy it and also be told a story that they will enjoy but the one of the examples that we start off with a team who are perennially in the Premier League but have no hope of getting into the top six Burnley Mm. Will, will maybe be seventh but nobody expects them to then be sixth fifth fourth mm-hmm. so there are those as well who might be to the Wolveses and the Derbys and Aston Villas who oh. might be thinking and mm-hmm. Fulham and clearly Aston Villa have a, a great history from not too recent uh, not too a distant past mm-hmm. but there are those who will be in the Premier League very rarely compete but just seek to exist which of course has a financial benefit but is there a great sense of hope in that fan base as well because one of the other parts of Paul's uh, Paul Reeves uh, email was that he gets annoyed with the phrase there's so much at stake these days mm. is there enough for a fan to have nothing at stake on one side to just enjoy mm. existing as a fan or on the other side of it is it better to have something at stake even though that will mean negative football pragmatic approach not necessarily entertaining so it's harder to live without the existence of this great idealistic hope but I think the cases in which there is nothing at stake in whatever lead are relatively few and far between mm. so we, we are at the time of the season where, where there, are, there will now be a great number of clubs who don't really have anything to play for who are kind of comfortably mid-table who are not going to make the playoffs and not going to get relegated and they are kind of trudging towards the end of the season but even then fans will be going to those games in towns all over the country and they will be looking to see which players are really kicking on and might you know might you know if if, if we can add you know a, a combative midfield to this creative one then maybe we'll have a good a good midfield next year and that might be enough to take us to the next mm-hmm. level or if we strengthen the fullbacks then oh no this this guy this 19 year old who's come in to cover at center half he's really good so you know that'll be the start there is always something at stake except in very in a, a handful of occasions really where teams are just kind of trudging again and again through the same season and even then it could be that you talk about Rochdale sell, Rochdale's model is, is you know we're going to sign a player sell him on for a few hundred grand and then reinvest that money the fans will be thinking and this is the mindset of the fans it's why transfer rumours are so popular the fans will be thinking right we've got Roy Bourneville the character from a previous episode I think we've done Ron oh is it Roy, Roy and Rob. Right. <laughs> triplets. So Roy, Roy Bourneville. <laughs> the famous Bourneville. Very right? talented footballing triplets. 24-year-old central midfield maestro for Melchester Rovers. And they'll be thinking... He's not, I'm sorry, he's not going to Rochdale. <laughs> no, all right. So, no, so, I love Rochdale, so, but no. Roy Bourneville's playing in midfield and doing really well. And you think, right, well... He's playing Westdisbury and Charlton. For West for Westdisbury and Charlton. You think, right, we're going to get 700 grand for him from a championship club. But that 700 grand, what if we spent it on... This guy, this guy, and this guy, and they made us an amazing team. So there is always, there is always something, there is always some ambition, there is always some purpose. I've been writing recently about Masters football, 
which fascinates me because it's incredibly popular. And Chinch never gets invited, which I find very surprising. Really? I get invited. Just you get invited? My knees will fall off. Yes, I can't his play. knees reply saying no chance. I can only uh, run in straight lines. Right. As if opposed, I, as opposed 90 to... 90 degrees, my knees fall to the ground. How's that different to other stages of your career? Why would you, Steve? <laughs> it's a good job you're at the opposite end of a big table because I'd slap your face right now. Punch your lights out. You're not wrong. <laughs> but the... If you don't watch <laughs> Masters football, part of the, the thing that... I went to watch Liverpool Legends play Bayern Legends a few weeks ago. And it was this really weird atmosphere because there was nothing at stake at all. And there was... It was sort of jolly but flat and meaningless and it was and it kind of struck you how, how soon sounds, did the sounds Me- wonderful how soon did the Mexican <laughs> wave start there were no Mexican waves <laughs> oh, well, thank goodness for the, that um, <laughs> the there was nothing to play for it was flat <laughs> and pointless <laughs> but I'm and really fascinated pounds for the ticket well this is it, the, but it there people were, do there were, yeah. were 55,000 people there wow and it's the same. They, That's good they, marketing for you. They stage these tournaments in Bangkok, in in I don't want to specify in Thailand, in China, in Hong Kong, in Australia, and they're incredibly big business, and people go along to them. But when you think about it, as a rule, we hate football when there's nothing at stake. We hate international friendlies. We hate pre-season games. You endure these things because they are flat, because they are meaningless, because there is nothing at stake. And the difference is that those games don't mean anything. Like Masters football doesn't mean anything. People will still, still don't watch yeah, it, but, but this it is, is hollow because in lead football, except in really, really rare circumstances, there is always some something at stake, even if it's not promotion that season. It's what's coming next. And I think that's that's something that fans of all clubs hold on to, even if, to be honest, they are massively delusional. Well, but surely Masters football is a bit sentimental as well. As yeah, a Liverpool yeah, yeah. fan, to see Ian Rush, doesn't matter whether he's 104, no. to see Ian Rush, that presumably why is pe- yeah, people... They don't go for the contest. I'll they se- go... I'll send you the link, Chinch. To see... <laughs> Please don't. But that's presumably... <laughs> that would be a bit mawkish, wouldn't it, to be turning up to see Ian Rush, 104. aged 104. <laughs> people just queuing outside of his but chair. You know, is, that be must be why route. people go, is it? The best thing about... I've not finished writing this piece yet, as, mm. at the time of recording. It, it will probably have been published by the time that we put it out. But the, my favourite character in the game was Hans Fludler, who I initially thought was the baddie from Die Hard, <laughs> but um, was actually a, a Bayern Munich midfielder in, I think, the 80s. And everyone else was kind of arsing around, if we're allowed to say that. I'm not sure we are. But they were kind of messing about on the pitch, and it was all very good-natured, good you know, meaningless. Everyone was having fun. Hans Fludler comes on. <laughs> Snaps someone in half. Taking, <laughs> taking it really seriously. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they, it was it was 5-4 to Bayern. And Liverpool had been three up, and then Bayern went 5-4 up. And second half is meandering to a close. John Aldridge has come on and fallen over twice and everyone's laughing. And then Fludler turns up and he's booting the ball into the crowd. He's smashing into tackles. He asked for someone to be booked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's now my hero. Excellent. So, so if something was at stake for Hans. Hans had, to, Hans had the right idea. Hans knew what it was to so be a fan of a club. He, he, ge- mm. he generated that himself. And a lot, of, a lot of the time, it's either generated by the local media's sense of a yep. story and needing to write stuff mm. and to, to talk about stuff. So your story or your things at stake is generated that way. Or you're right, the fan is slightly delusional and hopes for something or is even so negative they want the manager to be sacked if they lose yeah. again. You know, they'll find a story. They're brilliant fans of finding a storyline to affect them emotionally about a team that is going nowhere and has no hope of going anywhere. But do they understand the element of 
the club that has to prioritise the finances. So there will be teams in the Premier League who just want to exist for financial reasons to, 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 to be able to exist further on into the future mm. and to prosper. So do they, do they understand that there might be insipid football, there might be no chance of a trophy, but they understand that every year they're going to be making between 100 and 150 million quid and that's enough for them. Who has been the bottom two in the Premier League for most of the last three months? West Brom and West Stoke. Brom and Stoke. No, I, I tend to do it off mic. It has a bit more of an effect. <laughs> Say it again. West Brom and Stoke. The two teams who have most encapsulated the existing just-to-exist yes. philosophy. It catches up with you eventually. Yes, yeah, Stoke Stoke have done so very successfully. Oh, yeah, they, and West Brom have as well. They've yeah. both been mainstays of the Premier League, and it, it, that counts as success for them. But at some point, just taking the money doesn't work anymore. You have to aim for something. And but they, they've been caught out by that. But the likes of Southampton, who did aim for something, who mm. did try and put a structure and a philosophy in, in place that they could exceed beyond their means and challenge for European football, ultimately that has come back and bitten them on the backside because that, that s- s- structure of buying cheap, selling at the top end of the market, trying to reinvest the money, bringing through youth players, trying to play in a certain way, once one or two cogs within that machine weren't operating in quite the way they needed to, Southampton got sucked down the table and they may well get relegated. Yeah. Which, and I'm not saying that the only way to get relegated is to, is to strip yourself of purpose. But, and yeah, like you say, like with Southampton, they, they were aiming for something and it st- it, the system works. It, they've just done it badly in the last year or yeah. two. It's, that can also cost you your place in the Premier League without a shadow of a doubt just a bad season you can do everything right and have a bad year get loads of injuries and get relegated it, it does happen or just hire Alan Pardew just hire Alan Pardew that's the, that's the other surefire way of doing it but I'm just saying that in terms of once clubs I think willfully break that bond between supporters who want their club to be aiming for something and a club aiming for something once the clubs remove themselves from that equation and say actually we, we, we are not operating like that anymore. We, we are going to exist just to exist. I firmly believe, and I think it's a good thing, you get caught out because other people are moving forward. There's always ambitious clubs beneath you because that's the whole point is that the fans are supporting the team because they hope it can achieve something and the team should be ambitious enough to want to achieve something, whatever, whether that's promotion or avoiding relegation or whatever. I just, so what, where, where did Burnley go from here? Is there raison d'etre now just, just to finish? Watford. No, but Burnley... Brighton, all these teams who you would imagine might be threatened by relegation or mm. might be, find it hard to sustain themselves. Yes, Burnley have outperformed, but there are a whole group of teams mm. who won't get relegated this season, but next season will be in the conversation and, mm. and will find it very difficult to maintain their Premier League status. There's, but, there's but is that five all, or six, is aren't that, there? Yeah, is that all? So, so we're looking at Burnley specifically. Is that How long will that... We can only finish seventh, so let's try and finish seventh. How long does that... Main to, uh, continue to be enjoyable I think Burnley, for Burnley fans is it going to run out of steam very quickly I think Burnley would probably say that they still their ambition is still to be is, is to, is to do the Stoke thing and establish themselves as a top 10 Premier League side But and this is a prediction born out of great affection for Burnley who are very nice to me and I, I like the manager they will be relegated at some point in the next five to seven years because in part status is set in and, there is the, the, and, the, and they have realised that they have achieved what they can achieve and there is no, they've hit a ceiling. Mm. And that's the problem with the structure, I guess, of the Premier League, which is that there are six clubs squatting at the top, not shifting, and everyone beneath them 
can get can't break into it. Yeah. And as long as that's true, you will hit this point where you can't achieve any more than you have achieved consistently. Stoke are a great example. Three consecutive top ten finishes. Ninth, is yeah, it? Yeah, ninth, 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 ninth finishes. Yeah. You then get this tension, between, which is the club, that the fans are thinking, what's next? What's next? Yeah. We need something more. We need something to aim for. That's why we support a team. Mm. Even though they're only finishing ninth in the Premier League, which seems really boring. And we've got used to the fact that finishing ninth in the Premier League for Stoke is actually amazing. So the same, the yeah. same thing happened at Charlton. Yeah. What's next? We need something else to, to aim for. Oh, actually, and then the club are saying, well, there's nothing next. This is the best we're going to do. And the fans are going, oh, boo, get rid of the manager. Yeah, or we want to finish ninth playing more attractive yeah. football. Yeah. Or we and want to yeah. finish ninth and win the FA Cup. And yeah. it becomes like an intangible thing. So it's, can we play a different style? And then the style doesn't quite work. Because you can't just turn up and say, right, Ryan Shawcross, you are now Gerard Piquet. Mm-hmm. And the, although that would be quite funny. <laughs> the... Yeah, and it's a really good addition to start in their eyes. <laughs> his wife would be very confused. Sure, <laughs> um, um, his wife's involved in starts. If he just started going Shakira, Shakira, yeah. but no, no, that's that's, that's Bianca from Skegness. She's doing Shakira. <laughs> the um, and that's you get this tension. Is the fans are thinking right? We need to. We, you, you've got to give us something to aim for and to hope for and the club are saying nope this is it so this, this is, is all it so can this be. is the derby scenario better to have something to aim for and fail because the next season we'll still have that to aim for again so it can be another season where mystery's a big thing yeah so yeah. actually getting there the Burnley effect is kind of well right so where do we we can't go anywhere from no, here I mean, so for, what, what happens now for Burnley it is Still to establish themselves, they still haven't hit that stoked phase. That they 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 still have to do that. They've only mm-hmm. done it. You know, they've stayed up. Then they've finished top ten. They, they Dykes will be saying, right, let's do this again. Let's see if we can get closer to the top six, and that's that's fine. But at some point, that is a finite thing you can aim for, and there will be this tension between the fans who start saying, who start taking for granted all they've achieved, and say, right, that bit's done. Put that away. We need something else to think about. Something else to dream about. And the club will have to make a choice about whether they say to the fans, okay, this is what we'll, this is the next phase, or nope. And at that point, that's when you get that in, into this Stoke-West Brom thing, where that I think when that relationship's broken, you get tension, you get problems, and eventually it costs you. Mm. So uh, is the structure of football doing fans a disservice in terms of what the enjoyment they get out of the game? If, yes, fans have hope, and aspirations, but are re- at the very basic level able to accept their their position within the pecking order, is this sort of mass of promotion and relegation giving, you know, that sense of, oh, well, if we can sneak into the playoffs, we might just get promoted by finishing sixth in whichever division we're in now. Are, are we giving them unreasonable hope that they their club is you know able to join the elite over the longer term and by having three teams being relegated are we creating too much pressure on too many teams that they might get sucked into that no the opposite the opposite is that mobility is crucial for hope that's the the that's the method through which hope but can would be fans, but would fans ultimately get more enjoyment from football if they could just go along and accept it for what it was, whatever the level their local team is, the team they support, mm-hmm. and, and get the enjoyment, hope to see little bits of progress, hope to see great, you know, potentially great players emerge and just enjoy that 90 minutes on a Saturday afternoon and, and get on with the rest of their lives. No, because that's what Masters football is. And football without consequences, football without tension. And football without tension is pointless. It's the same when, when you watch a game behind closed doors, when you see Lazio have had their stadium shot or whatever because of the fans have been awful and that's, that's in, we don't have any hardcore Lazio <laughs> the, um, 
Gianluigi from Dublin will get in touch soon. <laughs> um, the uh, you can hear every shout. You can hear the ball being passed, and it, you just sort of watch. You watch it for you a can, while. When you can hear the shouts of the players, yeah. I've always found that really eerie. And it's really boring. Football behind closed doors is awful. It's terrible to watch it because it's the it's the crowd that gives it its emotional impact, and that's that's what I noticed about Masters football was that it was very kind of. So, no one in the crowd, there was just there was no tension, no, there was nothing at stake. And we have overdone the what's at stake thing without a shadow of a doubt. There's nothing at stake, it doesn't matter. If you, if you have nothing to hope for and nothing that you can lose, then it's just 11 men kicking the ball around. So, the, the, but you're right, football is doing a disservice to the fans, but only at the, the point in sixth place in the Premier League where the mobility stops. That's the problem. So, we shouldn't take episode 67 and a bit where we came up with our reset top flight of English football go and knock on Richard Scudamore's door with a you know with a burnt copy on CD <laughs> and, and a cassette. list and a list that we've printed out mm. and say Rich we, we, we've got an idea for you that, that's the 20 teams you need you get on with that and we'll let everybody else get on with just mm. trying to enjoy football and maybe moving up and down and I think without the I don't know without the the possibility of moving around the fear of moving down or the, the dream of moving up I don't think it would matter But, but there, there are plenty of sports that don't have promotion and relegation. There are a couple of sports in where, this country. What country would they be based well, in? Well, no, you? we do talk about rugby union and rugby league, which oh, have yeah. recently gone through the process of either having a fran- closed franchise system, not relegation, uh, just keeping it closed in an attempt to f- secure financially at least those who are in the top flight. But they decided that it, it didn't work and they've gone back to promotion and relegation. They've particularly in rugby league, had a, a very, very convoluted system in terms of how they decide who goes up and goes down. And in Bundesliga, they have that playoff as well. So they're trying to increase that sense of, of hope and the possibility of things being at stake. But you're right, in the States, there are franchises, they have expansions. But apart from that, they are in a situation where they have a closed shop. But there is still, I think a lot of people will say hope because they have a terrible franchise, but there's ways of... What, what, why are you showing us 35 the minutes? running mm. from the moment Hugh asked the question at the beginning of the podcast oh, right? to see how deep we would get into it. Ah. Before we American <laughs> franchises. Yeah. 34 minutes. And I have to say, 34 mm. and a half minutes is quite a lot further yeah. than I envisaged. I was wondering that why that get. was. I thought you were just trying to make it's sure that we didn't waffle too much. No, no, he, um, he whispered Carolina Panthers to me after six minutes. <laughs> 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 just mouthed it. It was like the first violin or Carolina Panthers was going to get a mention. If you, if you listen backwards, you'll just hear Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're, clearly, they, they have a much bigger geographical spread to try and um, uh, to try and adhere to, and it's college college sports helps fill in some of those gaps. But they, if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns, who have won one game in their last two seasons, entirely one I, one I, game. Sorry, I thought that was the character from Family Guy. It's it Paul Jewell yeah. in charge. Oh, it's almost like you've got the gag, Steve. <laughs> well done. It's Paul Jewell in charge of the Cleveland <laughs> <Yeah>. Browns. <Sorry. laughs> Actually, their head coach is a guy called Hugh, but uh, spelled it. Hugh Jewell. <laughs> but but they, they, they have, even though they are in complete despair and are a laughing stock, they still have hope. And they have hope because there is the possibility of upward mobility at some point because they'll reinvest through the draft or they'll make some sensible free agent signings because they've got huge salary cap. So, you know, there there are still ways of finding hope, even if you are a team that isn't going to get relegated or can then potentially get promoted back into it. But in your North American sports, our North American sports, there are far more meaningless games than there are in football. And I say this as someone who thinks that 14... Well, in NFL, there are fewer, so they mean more because there are fewer. Yeah, but you still... There is still that sense in the regular season that nothing 
is that nothing's decisive because there's always another chance. NFL's a bit different because it's such a small season, but certainly in baseball and hockey and basketball, there's so many games that each individual game doesn't really matter. That might be the case for those other sports. Yes, particularly in the NFL, you've got the position. Actually, the NBA does it to a certain extent as well. When you've got the team with the worst record getting the number one pick or an NBA getting in the hat for a number yeah, one and pick. Yeah, NHL's the same. NHL's yeah, the same. Get guaranteed by coming you, last year. There is, there is there, again, there is a storyline. You can find a storyline. Mm. Are they going to suck for, are they going to tank for um, so that they can get the number one pick because they happen to know that there's a great quarterback or a great player coming up in the next season's draft. So there's, there is still a way, even if you don't have promotion and relegation, still a way. There, hope, there, yeah. is, there is a human ability to find a storyline. And it's not just the media who propagate the storylines because they no, have, have to be generated somehow and they are not just generated in a vacuum they're generated because that is the pervading sense of that franchise or that team so it does it does happen elsewhere and it's and it's been so difficult particularly rugby league and rugby in in the UK so difficult for them to find a good way of doing that that they flirted with both ideas and eventually gone back to the idea of promotion and relegation because I think it suits British sports a little it's more it's almost like rugby's not like another sport <laughs> I'm going to which rugby? Because you know the person who suggested this topic is Paul Reeve, the guy who complained about how rude we were about rugby league. Oh, I'm not being rude about rugby league. Rugby league's a proper sport. Don't say rugby then, because you'll just offend them all. No, but rugby isn't. Rugby in either of its forms is not as good as football. <laughs> it is. It isn't. It is. That's manifestly untrue, Chinch. Does, does Chinch know how it big is. Paul Reeve what? is? What? Is that why you're being nice about rugby? You know, you know. I know. I like rugby more than football. Would you? Do you watch an entire game though? Yes, I tend to watch an entire game when a game's on. Would you watch club rugby? Yeah, I started watching club rugby. When did you start watching club rugby? Because Connor McNamara does some excellent commentary work. We like Connor McNamara. He's a friend of the excellent. pod. Excellent. Friend of the pod, Connor. Friend of the pod. Um, you wanted to, at the beginning to uh, come back and talk about kids at the end. So here we are at the end um, yeah. about this new generation of kids who will watch football on television, which there's such a profligacy of football on television that they will have teams that they watch and that will lessen the bond that they have with the team that they're supposed to support via that passing down of collective myth that you were talking about via the generation. So it's a, it, it is as there's more football on the television and we're able to watch Barcelona and Real Madrid as well as all the, the big teams in the UK, are we going to see each generation having less of a bond and therefore having less of a kind of crisis about whether they care whether their team is being successful or not? I think, yes. Yeah, basically, I, I I think and sort of slash worry that that because because of the way we consume football, because of the way that we talk about football, because of the way that football is saturated in the media, because of lots of different sort of social factors, that we are losing that connection between the people are supporting teams for different reasons. But there's always, there have always been glory hunters, uh, and there's actually nothing wrong with that. If that's what makes you, if you if you know if if Ed when he's five says actually I want to support Barcelona because they've got this player or this player how to tell a five year old not to like have a hero what's the you'd have to be weird to be like no 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 you cannot do that yeah but I've some, some, some good, families do do that by the way good news for you at five you'll still be Ed's hero only just <laughs> only, yeah but you'll just five and, you'll and a be half clinging on desperately it'll be Neymar aged 33 yeah <laughs> the, um, no so uh, uh, but I do think the way that they're consuming football is the people consume football is different and video games social media and all that stuff plays into it we've talked about this a million times before and I think that probably does skew it towards fans being inclined to pick a team that wins basically I think that I, 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 I'm not sure my brain's working well enough to, no. to expand on that thought but I, I suspect that what, if you're watching Barcelona at their peak or Real Madrid at their peak and you can watch them every week on TV it's 
and they always win, then as a kid, you, you, that sense of happiness you get from your team winning is, is incredibly alluring. Yeah, and I, I've mentioned this before, that, that at Rory's school, especially living in what is a, a you know cosmopolitan South Manchester, lots of, lots of people. We're about 55 minutes in and Steve mentioned Rory's school, so there we go. That's how oh, he's getting his own back at me. Talking <laughs> about his son is not the same as talking about the bloody Carolina Panthers. <laughs> but that is, that is evidence. There are kids there who support Barcelona, Real Madrid, those are the kits they wear. Yeah. Partly because they can watch them on telly, partly because their dads support teams elsewhere in the country, not not Manchester teams, and they would they would sooner they followed Barcelona and Real Madrid than became Manchester City or Manchester United fans because actually those clubs are, are rivals mm. of teams they support, maybe Arsenal or Chelsea or you know, Tottenham. Mm. But just in the same way, if you're going to get emotionally involved to the extent of being a real fan and a, and a fan that follows them to the extent that you just suggested, the, you know, Barcelona or Real Madrid, you're going to feel just as heartbroken and upset when they lose. So there's, all, there's still, it's not just one emotion. No, no, you're, no, you're no. watching a team that wins all the time. If you are a fan of a team that wins all the time, I have never been a fan of a win, team that wins all the time. But if I was, I would rate a defeat in a completely different way. I, yep. I'd find it devastating. Well, I Whereas I'm a fan of a team who loses a lot, so you generally don't tend to cry every time. Mm. I think that, I have to phrase this quite carefully, because I don't want to be indelicate. I think that's why you notice on Twitter that a lot of the most searing, if you criticise, write a piece criticising a big team for losing, or for losing frequently, the most furious responses to that criticism tend not to come from the, the countries in which those teams are based. They tend to come from much further afield. And I think We that, spoke about that with a couple of weeks ago with yeah. Ronaldo and Messi. If, yeah. if they are a fan wedded to Ronaldo and Messi, but I, they're, they're more offended because that is their connection. Yeah, but also, it's, it, and it's the same thing, I think it's that when Barcelona or Real Madrid lose, to fans who have come to them by virtue of how much they win, the defeats are much, much more meaningful. So to a... I don't know, to a Coventry fan. You probably can't insult a Coventry fan by saying, oh, your team lost. Just they'd be like, well, yeah, we've been doing that for 15 years and we keep on plummeting through the divisions. But to a Barcelona fan, especially a Barcelona fan who's, come, who's not been through any of the, the, the bad patches and who, who basically whose relationship with that club is that you should win every week. You win every week. You win 5-0 every week. You then get beaten 2-1 by Ibar or whatever. It's, just, it's going to affect you more. And that changes that relationship again between fan and club and what, what both kind of want to get from the relationship. And that also brings in, we're probably going to do this in a different podcast, so we will just finish with it briefly, but that also engenders a feeling of entitlement that fans get. Yeah. So they are the people who are the arbiters about how, what the club should be doing, uh, how much they should consider their feelings in their pursuits on a financial level, on a player personnel level on a recruitment level all these things is that it does if you if you are a fan of a team who wins all the time you are a fan who tends to have a great sense of entitlement which is completely understandable because it's self-perpetuating yeah. and Barcelona fans have been con- uh, accused of doing that in the past and I'm sure that will be something of a consideration for the future uh, but before we go a person of whom we are all a fan come hell or high water is Andy Hinchcliffe Oh, really? Uh, yes. Oh. Uh, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy detail- details removed. It was teased last week that you're mm. going to tell us a story about... The Dutch Giraffe, the Gerald Dutch Sub- Giraffe. Actually, do you want a two-for-one special? Oh! This is a story oh, 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 oh. about, within the space of six a weeks... Off. A bug-off. 
you want me to? Oh, you want me to tell the story? <laughs> Within the space of six weeks, how I was injured, badly injured, by an opposition player, and then by one of my own teammates. Right. In brackets, Gerald Sibon. <laughs> so I was playing for Sheffield Wednesday against Bradford, and I was well known for my my slide tackling technique. I was an expert at it. Playing against Jamie Lawrence. Do you remember Jamie yes. Lawrence? Yes. Now, yeah, he yeah. was a bit of a beefcake. Mm. And I was playing directly against him. And the ball broke. And clearly, always going to be quicker to the ball, Hinchcliffe. <laughs> I get off my feet and I slide to whip the ball away from him. He decides for some reason to double foot me. Jumping in. To what? Double foot me. <laughs> double what? You? Foot me. Right. <laughs> foot me. Okay. So he jumps in, basically, with both feet and catches me just below my knee and gashes gashes my knee open. Mm. I'm so hard, kind of a Jason Statham of left-backs, <laughs> that I, I got up thinking that's slightly painful and then realised that there was a, a quite a nasty gaping wound in my knee. So I lie back down again. Des Walker, very experienced centre-half, comes over, looks at it and goes, <laughs> do you need that sorting out? And then I looked down at it and it was like a, an upside-down smile wasn't a frown it was an upside down smile so it needed lots of stitching so I get stretched actually no I didn't get stretched off again Jason Statham walking <laughs> round the pitch with the physio with the Bradford fans baying I hope you have to retire we hate you which ringing in my ears and I thought I'll show you Bradford fans I got into the into the, um, the medical room so the, the doctor for Sheffield Wednesday has to insert 10 internal stitches, 10 external stitches to my knee to repair it because it's that badly damaged. Anyway, it all gets sorted out. It's horrendously painful. I'm out for three weeks because with it being on your knee, stitches and stuff, yep. you can't bet, do all that kind of stuff. So we've been really careful with this injury. Get myself back playing again. And I'm not actually playing training again. So what the first training session after having this knee injury... Clearly, Hinchcliffe wants to get back on with it. The medical staff are saying, no, you're not right. I know I am, guys. Let me get on with it. I go out onto the training field, and it is okay. But then, in a, in a, a small, we have these small-sided games. We put, um, Not Paul Jewell, it was uh, Danny Wilson. You used to love these small-sided games. Now, Gerald Sibon was a loose cannon, literally. But when he... It didn't happen very often. But when he hit the ball with his giraffe-like telescopic legs, he had... A, it was thunderous. He could really wallop it. And I, in many ways, I didn't like the Dutch players at Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> Maybe... I don't know why. They weren't lovable. Vim Yonk. They were quite cold. Mm. Gerald Sibon. He was an asshole. <laughs> and... <laughs> there tended to be quite a lot of competition in these games, even though it tended always to get split with kind of the English-British players against the foreign. And it always got a bit, can get a bit, and Des Walkie didn't train much, but he used to love to get involved in this because he used to like to injure can people. Can get a bit Brexity. Can get a bit Brexity. And there was one, but it broke and Gerald took a touch and you knew he was going to absolutely lash this. And for some reason I thought, it, I, it's, I have to block this shot. I have to. It's my meaning in life to shot, stop this training round shot. And he smashed it and I actually blocked it with my left foot, but it actually ruptured all my medial Ooh. knee ligaments. <laughs> As my, as my, you know, as your leg, obviously, yeah. it, it, I didn't brace myself. And actually, it was like it had been shot out of a cannon. <laughs> so actually, I had this nasty injury. I was out for three weeks with a really bad tackle, cut leg. Gerald Sibon shot that nearly took my leg off, kept me out for four weeks. So my own teammate injured me for longer than an opposition player. Outrageous. Sibon. Did you ever get your revenge on either Sibon or Lawrence? 
Well, Jamie Lawrence, you wouldn't mess with him. There's no way. He could split my leg open every match we played, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to argue with him. Gerald Sibon, I think he left shortly after. He played in the Champions League, didn't he? he apparently. Did. For, is it PSV? For PSV. Was he any good? Mm, I don't really remember. <laughs> I wonder if he remembers me. Almost certainly. Do you think so? Old wobbly legs. He had very long legs. <laughs> no, no, you. Wobbly oh my, me. Well, they're wobbly now because he, that's actually probably it's not to do with arthritis. It's probably the fact that he nearly broke my leg. Can you break someone's leg with a shot? It sounds like I know came swans can break your leg with their wings, but I didn't yeah. think Gerald Sibon shot. But it was it nearly it literally took the bottom half of my leg off. Didn't Alan Smith do that because he was blocking a John Arnaresa free kick or 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 a shot? That's how Alan Smith did his. He Man United yeah, leads Alan yeah, Smith. Did his knee and ankle. So we're in the so, knee and ankle. Yeah, so he, uh, he mm. dislocated his ankle Ooh. and did his cruciate all at once. I think he was trying to block a, a, a shot. On a shot. Oh. So basically he did it a little bit better than you. Yeah, but he right. hadn't had his legs split open three weeks before and was on the road to recovery and Sibon dashed my hopes. A favour before uh, we let you go, everybody here on Set Piece Menu. There is an award called the Football Blogging Awards. Um, we would like you, if you have a moment, please, to vote for Set Piece Menu in the Football Blogging Awards. To do so, uh, all you need to do is essentially log on to Twitter and we will show you. Uh, but also, very simply, footballbloggingawards.co.uk. If you think we're worthy, if you don't, don't bother. Uh, but footballbloggingawards.co.uk, it's very simple. All you need to do is put the... T All you need to do is copy and paste the link that we will put on Twitter into the podcast section. If you can go to iTunes yourself and do it on Set Piece Menu at iTunes, that's absolutely fine. But we will do it for you. Make it as simple as possible. You can also do it via Twitter. We will put that on Twitter to help you to do that. But footballbloggingawards.co.uk, uh, they are open for entries. Simply all you have to do is nominate us. And then at some point there may all be a voting thing that will get you to do a little bit later on. But that's footballbloggingawards.co.uk. Give us a chance. Just give us a chance. That's all we ask for. Give us a chance. And don't forget how you can get in touch as well at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, Rory and Steve and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I have um, one final piece of NHL paraphernalia news to impart. Uh, so, obviously, I got a selection of t-shirts from Steve that I'm greatly enjoying. Andy got a Detroit Red Wings one yes. to replace the one that was lost in a car and Hugh got a Hartford uh, Whalers Hartford Whalers t-shirt my boss Andy Das friend of the show was brought up in a Hartford Whalers town is that and right is I think I'm not sure he'd identify as a Hartford Whalers fan but he certainly knows some and apparently the Hartford Whalers have a fan group although they haven't existed for 20-25 years they went off to become the Carolina Hurricanes the Carolina Hurricanes uh the ha there is a group of Hartford Whalers fans that still meet every year to talk about the good old days whaling <laughs> in Hartford <laughs> this is the same Andy Das by the way hello uh, Andy who a few weeks ago when we had the cakes and we talked about yes. Victoria Sponge uh, I think he tweeted at Seppi's Many to say who would have thought that at 9pm I would be googling Victoria Sponge yes. this is not a thing that is a transatlantic it's amazing uh, that Americans and I spoke to Andy on the telephone about this did uh, he phone you up immediately and, and said I'm what, confused what on earth is a Victoria Sponge he didn't it, they don't have it in the States I think we should make one is for that, him is that a it. joke name though Andy Das no, Andy Das. <laughs> Seriously, he's called Andy Das. He's called Andrew Das. Andy Das. Not Andy Das. He keeps saying Andy Das. Do you agree with me? Has he ever thought that that might be that close and he could set up some sort of rival sportswear company? Well, with Andy Das. Yeah. Does he get told off for copyright and things like that? <laughs>